Sublime, shedding light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. In each episode, I'll offer a 10 to 15 minute reflection on one or several of these themes. And my hope is that these reflections will both support your practice and or your teaching of yin yoga and meditation. In this episode, I'll continue the introductory series on Chinese medicine theory and take a closer look at some of the different aspects of the relationship between yin and yang dynamics and consider the implications that those dynamics have for our practice and health. Okay, so let's get started. From simplicity to complexity. While yin and yang theory is a remarkably simple model for analyzing dynamics and relationships between things in the world, its deceptive simplicity is able to embrace and illuminate a dazzling array of complexity in the natural order. And there are several aspects of the relationship between yin and yang which help bear out its descriptive power for capturing life's complexity. In this lesson, I'm going to consider three aspects of the relationship between yin and yang in greater depth. The first is the opposition of yin and yang. So here, everything in the universe can be seen in relationship to its opposite or counterpart. As Joseph Kim says in The Yin and Yang of Life, quote, all phenomenon in the universe can be seen as either yin or yang. For example, phenomenon are either positive or negative, male or female, up or down, open or closed, outside or inside, day or night, acid or alkaline, loved or hated, joyful and sad. You get the idea. But Mashiosho, the author of Foundations of Chinese Medicine, cautions us to remember that, quote, the opposition is relative, not absolute, insofar as nothing is totally yin or totally yang. Rather, everything contains the seed of its opposite. Moreover, the opposition of yin and yang is relative as the yin and yang quality of something is not really intrinsic, but only relative to something else. Thus, strictly speaking, it is wrong to say that something is yang or something is yin. Everything only pertains to yin or yang in relationship to something else. For example, hot pertains to yang and cold pertains to yin. So we might say that the climate in Naples is yang in relationship to the climate in Stockholm. But bear in mind that Naples is yin if we compare it to the climate of Algiers, end quote. So again, we might designate yin yoga as being yin in relationship to more dynamic styles that are more yang. But if we compared CrossFit to Ashtanga yoga, Ashtanga becomes relatively yin in relationship to the extreme yang dynamism of CrossFit. So that's the first aspect of uh, their relationship, that they are in opposition and complementary relationship to each other. There's also the aspect of mutual dependence or the interdependence of yin and yang. This next aspect of the relationship between yin and yang is really a continuation of the acknowledgement that yin and yang are in opposition to each other. 
Although they exist in opposition, their very status is actually dependent on the other. For example, day is opposite to night, but the existence of day is also dependent on night and vice versa. Day becomes nonsensical without the contrast or the counter experience of night. Similarly, activity such that is yang activity is in opposition to rest, which is more yin activity. But there can't be any rest without activity, nor can there be activity without any rest. Again, to quote Joseph Kim again, this means that nothing can exist without its opposite, and everything is defined by its opposite. For example, there can be no front without a back, no top without a bottom, no inside without an outside. In the above examples, the dependent relationship is direct, in the sense that night is directly dependent on day. But the relationship of dependence can also be somewhat indirect, whereby animals, which are more yang, depend on plants, yin, for oxygen, and plants depend on animals for carbon dioxide. End quote from Kim. In Buddhism, as we'll see, there's a concept called dependent origination. And this yin-yang concept of mutual dependence is somewhat similar to the Buddhist teaching on dependent origination, which, although rather complex, can be simply summarized in the following statement, whereby nothing arises independently in the world. Or in other words, everything arises or exists dependent on something else. For example, this arises because of that, and that arises because of this. So just think that you know a tree grows, and it grows dependent on water, soil, sunlight, nutrients, etc. Without those preconditions, there would be no tree. So this is the idea of dependent origination, that everything arises dependent or independence on other things also arising. In yoga, this facet of mutual dependence shows up in some basic ways. Taking an in-breath in is dependent on releasing an out-breath. Shavasana, or stillness in practice, is predicated on some kind of prior movement or activity. Flexion in the body is dependent on extension. Contraction is dependent on expansion. We can flex our muscles, which is dependent on our ability to relax certain muscles. The concept of yin yoga makes sense only in relationship to concepts around yang yoga. So every phenomena is both in opposition to something else, as well as being simultaneously dependent on that opposition for its definition. Now the third aspect of the relationship between yin and yang that I want to consider in this lesson is the relationship of mutual consumption, or the dynamic of mutual consumption. This third aspect of the relationship between yin and yang reminds us of their changing, non-static dynamic. In their dependent nature, yin and yang rely on the other for identity and definition. But here we start to see how yin and yang actually affect each other. Here, the relationship is established along a tension of mutual control or consumption or balancing, whereby one element balances or holds in check the other. A point that many authors and practitioners of Chinese medicine often reiterate is that as qualities of change, yin and yang are in a constant process of controlling and balancing one another. A static, unchanging balance is never achieved. What is observed and also assisted, however, both by the skilled yoga practitioner and a practitioner of Chinese medicine, is 
our harmonious process of balancing. In healthy dynamics, this aspect of the relationship is both gentle and mutually supportive, similar to the way two people dancing together make take turns leading their partner in the dance. With the examples we've used so far, activity is gently tempered by rest, and rest gently informed by activity. The coolness and inwardness of night balances and controls the heat and outwardness of day, and vice versa. If we consider elements of nature, the element of water is in a yin-yang relationship with that of fire. Water cools and controls the heat of fire, and similarly, fire controls and balances the coolness of water. Psychologically, we could think of it this way, whereby receptivity, that is a yin quality, receptivity balances and controls more aggressive, influential, and assertive mental qualities that are more yang. And these yang qualities also balance tendencies to be too passive or non-engaging, which are more yin. So they both, both yin and yang, control or balance one another. Now at times, this dynamic of mutual control can become pathological and create all sorts of dysfunctional imbalances. And in pathology, this is where the relationship of control can become a little bit more complicated. If one side of the dynamic becomes either excessive or weaker relative to the other sides of the relationship, and if that imbalance persists for enough time, it can lead to unhealthy imbalances. And there are four ways that this controlling aspect of the relationship can manifest. I'm going to say these slowly, so bear with me. There's one pattern whereby yin becomes predominant. There's a preponderance of yin or excess yin. So there's more yin than yang. The second one is the opposite, where there be a preponderance or excess of yang relative to yin. The third way that these dynamics can become imbalanced is when there's a weakness of yin relative to yang. So this is not a case where yang is excessive. There's just a deficiency of yin relative to yang. And the fourth one is where there's a weakness of yang or deficiency of yang relative to yin. Again, here yin is not truly excessive. It's only appearing excessive because yang itself is deficient. Now, on the face of it, excess yin might sound like deficient yang, and excess yang might sound like deficient yin. But the differences between these need to be mentioned. So let me go through these a little bit more carefully now. In the first two instances, there can be what Chinese medical practitioners call a true excess of either yin or yang. Here, in these cases, either the yin or yang energy is excessive in relationship to that of the other. It's helpful to consider this pattern in relationship to something like full cold, which is a yin condition, or full heat, which is more of a yang condition. And in this dynamic, when yin becomes dominant, it consumes yang, or when yang becomes dominant, it consumes yin. For example, when cold predominates over heat in the body, a person will feel some or all of the following symptoms. There'll be chills, cold limbs, abdominal pain, which is made worse with pressure. There's a desire to drink warm beverages. The person may have a lot of clear and abundant urine, and they also may have loose stools. The reason that the person would feel abdominal pain is that the cold slows down and obstructs the flow of qi, or energy, which then causes pain. 
But all these symptoms arise because cold is controlling heat in the body. Even with loose stools, there's not enough heat to properly digest the food coming in, leading to a pattern of loose stool. In contrast to this, when heat predominates over cold, a person will feel some or all of these symptoms. There will be thirst for cold beverages, again, due to the excess heat. There could be fever, red complexion, constipation, because here the heat is drying out the fluids that moisten the intestines. And there could be dark and scanty urine, again, because the heat is literally cooking or drying up the fluids of the body. In both these instances, yin or yang dominates the other of the pair, much like a dominant partner in a relationship. Say, where an aggressive husband, who's yang, might order about his partner, or whereby an excessively shy partner, someone more yin, might inhibit the socialization of the couple. And the treatment in these cases is to clear or attenuate the dominant element of the pair, either by clearing the excess heat or warming and dispersing the excess cold. So in these cases of true excess, where there's true excess heat, you wanna to try to clear and rid that heat, cool things down, or in the case where there's true excess cold, you wanna to try to warm up the body to disperse and rid the body of that cold. Okay, now in the second two aspects of the relationship, where yin and yang are deficient or weaker in relationship to the other. This gives the appearance of the other being more excessive, when really the imbalance is created by a relative weakness of one side of the polarity, not by an excess of the other. For example, if yin is weak, yang will appear excessive. And in Chinese medicine, this is something called empty heat or empty yang. Here there will be heat symptoms but they arise due to a relative weakness of cold, not because of an excess pattern of heat. And common symptoms of empty heat include red flush in the cheeks, a feeling of heat primarily in the afternoon or evening, which is the yin time of day, low-grade fever, especially in the afternoon, or waking during night, specifically with sweating at night. Here, in these cases, the yin is deficient and it's not able to anchor or ground the yang energy. So if that yang energy is not grounded and, and tempered by the yin, the yang energy tends to float up or rise up, giving these heat symptoms. Likewise, when yang or hot energy is weak relative to yin, there's a dynamic whereby yin becomes relatively stronger than yang, but only because of the yang weakness or deficiency. And this is called empty cold. And here symptoms include chilliness, but not with the same intensity as full cold. There won't be thirst, or there's no thirst, there's low energy, there might be some sweating, again, loose stools, or there might be clear and abundant urination. And in both of these patterns, where yin and yang are relatively weaker to the other, this gives false signs of excess in the other. And the treatment strategy is a little bit different. With false heat, the treatment is to nourish yin, not to clear heat. And with false cold, the treatment would be to nourish yang, not to clear cold. This relationship of how yin and yang affect and control one another becomes very relevant when we start to think about how to apply various styles of yoga to bring balance to our lives and health. A few years ago, I treated a few men with acupuncture for symptoms of waking up at night 
with sweating and restlessness. Now you may remember those symptoms correlate to deficient yin causing false excess heat or causing what's called false heat. These symptoms are not very common for men in their 30s. They are, however, common symptoms for women going through menopause. And menopause is a phase in a woman's life when yin becomes relatively weaker in relationship to yang, creating this pattern of empty heat. If you look back at that pattern, listen back to that pattern, you'll see that many of the empty heat symptoms fit typical presentations of menopause. So I'll just read these again. Red flush in the cheeks, feeling of heat primarily in the afternoon or evening, uh, waking at night with sweating, these kind of symptoms. But we have to ask ourselves, why were these otherwise healthy young men experiencing empty heat symptoms? And the answer emerged during their intake, whereby I learned that they were practicing Bikram yoga with a rather strenuous zeal, attending classes at least six times a week and sometimes even twice a day. I asked, had they experienced the sleep disturbance, insomnia, and night sweating prior to this dedication of Bikram yoga? They answered, no. Now, please bear in mind, this is not a rant or a diss against Bikram yoga. But Bikram yoga is a practice where heat is predominant. And the practice causes lots of sweating, which is a loss of yin energy or fluid in the body. So from a Chinese medical perspective, the heat from the frequent Bikram classes literally cooks the fluids or yin energy of the body, creating a condition of empty heat, whereby the yin energy becomes weaker relative to the yang, and the yin is no longer able to control or keep the yang in check. So at night, which is a yin time of day, the yin is insufficient to keep the yang in balance and yang heat is able to rise and express itself more unchecked by yin, causing these heat symptoms. So as part of their acupuncture treatment, in addition to nourishing yin and fluids in their body, I encourage them to add some yin yoga classes, to cut back on the Bikram to a few times a week rather than six days a week, and in a short period of time, within a month or so, their insomnia and night sweating started to resolve. So in considering how we adapt our yoga practices to our life, it helps to have a more nuanced understanding of yin and yang energies and how they affect one another. These considerations help us better apply different disciplines in our practice. And depending on where you are in your life, or what's going on in your life, or what your particular day is like, sometimes you're going to find that yin practices help promote balance, sometimes you're going to find yang practices help promote balance. And Ultimately, it's really your quality of attention and refined awareness to what goes on with you as a consequence of these practices that will help guide you around what you do in your practice. Okay, I'll stop there for now. In the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll continue with this introductory series on Chinese medicine theory by looking at the concept of qi. Qi is sometimes referred to as a life force. I look forward to sharing that episode with you with insights, as always, from my practice to yours. If you'd like to follow along with the Everyday Sublime, please subscribe in iTunes. I left a link for you in the show notes, or you can subscribe directly on my site at joshsummers.net forward slash subscribe. And of course, if you'd like to study or train in yin yoga with me, check out yinyogaschool.com. Thanks so much for listening today, and I'll see you in the next episode.